All right. Uh, really awesome to be here today. Um, and wow, what a great crowd. This is really encouraging. Um, so we start our Romans series today that we've yeah. been threatening you with for many weeks. Uh, and it's going to be awesome, okay? Um, and I'm doing the introduction today, but there's going to be a ton of stuff left out because you could literally introduce the book of Romans for like a month. Uh, it's, uh, it's quite a, quite a study. So hopefully I've chosen the stuff we need to look at today. So it'll give us, uh, it'll, it'll make this study, uh, very rich and life changing. Let's have a prayer together. Uh, father, thank you so much for this time. We can be together. I appreciate the people in this room, uh, that are here to, uh, to feast on your word, and certainly the book of Romans is a feast for our souls. So help us, uh, those of us that are preaching and teaching, to do the best job that we can do. Um, and then, Father, I pray that our hearts, all of our hearts, are ready to hear this incredible message. We love you so much, and it's through your son's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, just a, just a little challenge at the beginning here. I want you to get on the edge of your seat through this whole series. Whether it's metaphorically or actually, just get on the edge of your seat. Because the great news is all over the book of Romans. And it's one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible. And if you misunderstand the gospel, the message of Romans, you're going to misunderstand the whole New Testament. You're going to misunderstand God. You're going to have a lopsided view of God. You're going to have a lopsided life. And you're not going to experience much joy or security. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do, I'm going to dive right into this. The first thing we're going to do is take out some theological trash, some stinky theological trash. And then we'll get in. This is like the introduction to the introduction. That's what this is. So the modern gospel, theological trash. Okay, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll get there in a little bit. And if I could have the first slide up, please, that would be great. All right, so Paul begins in Romans chapter 1, and it's, it's a perfect introduction to the book of Romans. From Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was a descendant of David with reference to the flesh, who was appointed the Son of God in power, according to the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles on behalf of his name. You also were among them called to belong to Christ, to to all those loved by God in Rome. Isn't that a cool passage? To all those loved by God in Eau Claire and Altoona too and all the other surrounding (laughs) neighborhoods and the whole state. Yeah, whatever. You you got it. To all loved by God in Rome, called to be saints. That's pretty cool too. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. That's not just a way to close out the the, the paragraph. He's going, if we understand the gospel, we're going to have grace and peace between us and him, 
in between each other and even the world somehow. Okay? But anyway, let's, let's take out some of this trash. Next slide. Okay. So, the modern gospel says things like, accept Jesus in your heart and you'll be saved. That's not a verse in the Bible, by the way. Or pray Jesus in your heart and you'll be saved. Not a verse in the Bible, by the way. It says, it says believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. That's all over the Bible. But the modern gospel totally messes up the definition of belief. And so the way it's presented is a false gospel. In fact, the worst false gospel ever uh, laid upon human beings, I think. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of what the modern gospel is in evangelical Christianity. You know, accept Jesus and you'll be saved. This diagram illustrates what the real message of the gospel is. If you go into the book of Acts, the uh, word Savior is actually, misprint, it's actually in there three times, not five. Jesus is my Savior, three times in the book of Acts. In the New Testament, ten times. In the, uh, in the book of Acts, Jesus is our Lord, or Jesus is our King, our Master, dictator. I know that's it's a word that triggers people if you've lived under a dictatorship. But if you have a completely selfless dictator that would die on the cross for you, even though you are a complete mess, you'll, I want that dude to be my dictator. In fact, that's when life gets better, when you make Jesus your loving dictator. We are under a dictatorship. Not Joel's. His, all right? In the New Testament, over 750 times, Jesus is called Lord. So I think we should align ourselves with what they were preaching, not what they're preaching. What do you think? So we're just going to take out that trash. Somebody can throw that out later. We got some more trash to take out. Old Testament is all about law. New Testament is all about grace. There was gobs of grace in the Old Testament. In fact, that's what the prophets struggled with, like Habakkuk and Jeremiah. They're like, why are you being so gracious? Why are you dealing with all this sin? Oh, uh, because Jeremiah, I'd have to deal with you too. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the Old Testament is, uh, is all about grace and law, and the New Testament is all about grace and law. Jesus said, or the uh, John chapter 1 says Jesus came full of grace and truth. He added more grace in a sense and more truth. That's what he's doing at the Sermon on the Mount. The law said don't commit adultery. I said don't even lust. Ooh, which law is harder? The Sinai law or the, or the Christian law? We'll talk about that maybe a little bit later if we have time. There's a new king in town. That's what the gospel is all about. In fact, that's what the word means. It was borrowed from the secular world. Every time a new Caesar would rise to the throne, they would have these writers go out, these heralds go out all over the known world and say, there's a new king in town. He's going to fix everything. And they never did. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a new king in town. And guess what? He is going to fix everything. 
That's the promise in the Bible. Just hold on. Just wait and see. You go, well, it's a mess. The world's a mess. Well, just wait. Just wait. When he comes back, wow, it's going to be fixed. And you can be part of that fixing in this life and then for eternity. That's what the gospel is all about. But, okay, so law, do, here's the question. Do we have to do something to be saved? A lot of people say, no, you don't have to do anything to be saved. Just believe, just believe in Jesus. As soon as you believe in Jesus, you're saved. There's no scripture in the Bible that says as soon as you have faith, you're saved. Uh, one of the most misunderstood scriptures in the Bible, you're saved by grace, not by works. Now, I believe that. But most people think it says you're saved by grace, not by obedience. What it, what it really means, you're saved by grace, not by perfect obedience. Just replace the word perfect there with works. Mankind has always been under law. Ever since Genesis 2, when, when God said, hey, Adam, stay away from that one tree. You can have all those other trees, all of them, all of them, all full of nutritious, tasty fruit. Just stay away from that one. That proves to me that God is not stingy. He really wants to bless our lives. Okay? They broke the one law. One. And then sin just blasted through the door into our world. An important verse to understand is James chapter 2, verse 10. You don't have to turn there. But it just says this. Anyone who obeys the whole law yet stumbles at just... Someone said it over here. One point breaks one law their entire life. They're just in the same place as someone who broke all the laws. That's what it says. Well, God needs to quit being so stinking uptight about sin then. And a lot of people think that's what Jesus did. Jesus kind of calmed God down. Hey, Father, you've been too uptight, you know. And that is so not the truth. He took on himself, Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. We'll get there. He took on himself all the penalties and punishments of the law so we could, be, we could live by grace, so we could be saved by grace because my sins and your sins have already been punished. All the past sins, any sins that you committed today, and those in the future. We're still guilty sinners, you know. But we don't have to walk around guilty because they've already been punished. We've been set free. We're safe and secure. And by the way, if you get on the edge of your seat and you study the book of Romans and you're engaged and all that stuff and you come to midweek so we can discuss this stuff, you're going to get more secure, joyful, happy, and assured than you've ever been in your life. And I know what I'm talking about because I used to be an uptight, guilt-ridden, never-do-enough Christian even evangelist for many years of my life. And that's why this, the book of Romans is so personally special to me. And if you're one of those types of people, which a lot of us are, then this is going to bring you great joy. But you've got to be engaged. Okay? We're going to do the hard work, the deep study. But then you've got to do some too. And come to midweeks all ready to talk about these amazing things. Okay, we are still under law. Even though Romans 6.15 says you're not under law but under grace, we're still under law. Uh, your contradiction, Romans 6? No, I'm not. I understand what it means. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
say amen if you like it. Uh, just, just don't let me know if you don't. Mercy. Verse 21, chapter 9. To th this is the same guy writing, by the way. This is Paul. He wrote the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians. To those free from the law, I became like one free from the law, the Gentiles. Though I am not free from God's law, but under the law of Christ. So somehow, you know, 1 Corinthians 9.21 doesn't co contradict Romans 6.15. Somehow they work together. All right? Hebrews chapter 5, it says this. Oh, I, I, you don't have to turn there. Hebrews chapter 5 says this, and this is what straightens out the dilemma that the religious world is caught in. It says this, he became, Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation to all who, what does it say? Fill in the blank. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The modern gospel says to those who believe in him. He's the source, but we have to obey. We have to make Jesus our Lord. You don't go, Jesus, you're my Lord, and then turn around and disobey him and live a disobedient lifestyle. Do you have to do something to be saved? Absolutely. Does that mean you're saved by works? Absolutely not. Let me give you a little illustration. Okay, let's say Culver's up the road. Can I have the next slide, please? Uh, next one. Yeah, okay. Whoa. Since I can't ride a motorcycle anymore, I'd like to have one of those. So uh, let's say Culver's up the road is, is going to give away this. We, all my, my wife did here is Google most expensive Mustang ever made, production Mustang ever made. And that's what came up. And so what if Culver's, you know, down the street, is they're going to give away one of these Mustangs. And, uh, and the drawing is going to be on August 5th. I mean, the, the, you have till August 15th next week to get in your little ticket. You don't even have to go buy a double deluxe cheeseburger with extra mayo. One of the greatest health foods ever created. <laughs> you don't even have to buy that. You just have to go in the store and just fill out your name, Joel Peed, because I know he would, and, you know, address or whatever, or email address, phone number, whatever. Put it in the little slot and then walk out. That's all you have to do. Okay, so let's say, let's say on Labor Day, when they draw it out, they, they draw Joel Peed's name. Amen, he says. Uh-huh. And so, which I'd be insanely jealous and like, what's wrong with you, God? You gave it to the wrong person. <laughs> but anyway, he draws it out. What's Joel going to do? He has to pick up his Mustang within a week. Do you think he'd wait a week? Hey, honey, can we, you know, can, on our date tonight, can we go get that Mustang? <laughs> We'd all do that. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Joel Pede earn that Mustang? Did he buy it? Did he purchase it with, you know, saving for years and years and years? Because you'd have to save for a long time to buy that Mustang. No. It was a gift 
from Culver's or Ford or both of them together. It was a gift. But did he have to do something to get that gift? They couldn't pick his name out of the hat if his name wasn't in the hat. And he had to pick it up within a week. So just because we have to do stuff, follow, embrace, albeit imperfectly, the law of Christ, which is the law of crucified love, wish I had another half hour to explain that. We do have to embrace that. And then Jesus, and we don't deserve it, Jesus will save us. That's what repentance is. That's what Acts 2, you know, the best definition of repentance is Jesus is Lord of everything. And don't be faked out, you know, because some people, uh, and sometimes us, we make a lot of moral changes. That doesn't mean you've repented. I stopped smoking because I don't want to get cancer. I stopped drinking because I hate waking up with a headache. I stopped this because it always backfires on me. And people make a lot of moral changes, and it looks like they've repented. But there's huge parts of their lives that aren't surrendered to the kingship of Jesus. They've never repented. Now, I'm not talking, again, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about sincere, I embrace Jesus as my Lord, and for the rest of my life, I'm going to figure out what that means. And that's what we're going to be talking a lot about in this in this. Uh, study together. Okay, I need to get flying. All right, so that was the introduction to the introduction. <laughs> Let's get into the introduction. All right, so next slide, please. This is what the book, in my opinion, what the book of Romans is all about. It's about the plan, the person, the power, the people, and the promises of God. So I'm just going to talk, and all that is in that passage I read at the beginning, every bit of it, the plan. In Romans 1, 2, it says the gospel promised beforehand. In Ephesians 1, it says before the foundation of the world, God came up with this idea of the gospel. That's why it's called the eternal gospel. Why did God do that? Same reason what Kelly and I, when we had our first baby and all of our babies, that we, we, we painted the little bedroom and had a crib, a really safe crib in place, and you open up the little baby closet, and there were baby Band-Aids and, and baby aspirin or baby Tylenol, whatever, and baby this and baby that, and little tiny diapers. and all. We were so ready for Stevie or Caleb or Sadie to come along. We were prepared for anything because we loved our child before we even saw them. And that's why... God had a plan even before this world was created because he cares so deeply. He wants to meet, and the gospel meets all of our needs. The person, well, we know who that is, right? Jesus. And he talks about that in Romans 1.3. The person, the descendant of David via flesh, but the son of God because of the resurrection. Yeah, the resurrection is, death, burial, and resurrection is the keystone of Christianity. But you have to include some other things. The incarnation, God, the galaxy maker, becomes a man. You know, when we were singing that one song, what song was it now? Not How Great Thou Art, what what was that song? Say it again. How How Great Is Our God. I was meditating. I couldn't even sing anymore. It's such a good song. And, and I didn't want to ruin it by singing it. And so, so I, was, I kept thinking about 
the galaxies. And then I'd switch to Golgotha. I kept going back and forth. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. The person of the gospel. The gospel is about a person. Jesus is the gospel. It's not uh, just a technical, theological slogan. The power. Jesus was appointed the Son of God in power by the Holy Spirit when he rose from the dead, and then he was ascended into heaven, Acts 1, and exalted to God's right hand, talked about in Romans, I mean, Acts chapter 2. And Jesus wants to share that power with us. And if you unlock the book of Romans correctly, you see, oh, wow, I got loads of power. I got just as much power as any saint in the Old Testament. Moses, actually, we actually have more tell you the truth, because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When we get to Romans 8, we're going to study that out, whoever has that sermon. Power. God wants to share this resurrection power with us. We're baptized into his death and burial and resurrection power to live a radically new life. We can change. We can overcome. We can. And we'll discover that in the book of Romans. Let me just talk about this for a second. If Christians have so much power, and we all have equally the power of God, if we have the Holy Spirit, then why don't we live powerfully sometimes, or most of the time, or no one does all the time. We all have our valleys and all that jazz. Why? Well, the power of the cross, I mean, the power of God is found in the message of the cross that the Holy Spirit leads us to. There's an interesting passage. It's actually a scary passage in 1 Corinthians 1.17. It says the cross can be emptied of its power. And that was the main problem in the Corinthian church. They were no longer looking at Jesus as the, they came up with different Jesuses. And, they, and, and, and they, they definitely didn't want to follow the crucified Jesus because that would mean they would have to follow the, the principles, the law of Christ, the law of cru- crucified love. And you go, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, then you're going to be an anemic Christian. You're going to have an anorexic faith. The Holy Spirit's just waiting for you. Gosh, please embrace the cross in that situation. Please do what Jesus would do. You know what he would do. You've, you've been around long enough. You know what he would do. I'll give you power, but you've got to start doing it. And that may be just asking your wife for forgiveness or sharing your faith or overcoming a sin and doing everything you can to overcome it, getting help. You're not going to be shamed here. You're going to be loved here. You open up, you're going to be loved here. And if you are shamed, then Joel and I will come to that person, whoever that person is, and we'll, 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 we'll take care of that. This is a safe place to be so that we can be open and then experience the power of the resurrection. Now, okay, I need to fly. We'll be done here in a minute. The power, the people. Who are the people? Us. Us, we're the chosen people of God. I thought the Jews were the chosen people of God. And that's one of the big beefs in the book of Romans is that Paul, Paul's gospel basically says that the chosen people of God, the Jewish nation, are not 
most of them aren't saved. And so they're scratching it. We're the chosen people of God. How can most of us not be saved? And it's dealt with in Romans chapter 2 and Romans 9 and 10 and 11. He answers that question. And we'll get into that later. But the, that's why the Bible calls us saints. We are the chosen people of God. I was always one of those guys that was chosen last in sports, especially baseball. I hate baseball. But anyway, because <laughs> I was always chosen last. Uh, I, I'm safe here. Thank you, Jesus. I got cut from Little League. Is that, that's still, that's, that should never happen. I got cut. I mean, all these kids are there, and it, we can't use you. I can still see that. That was when I was six years old. I can still see his face. We can't use you. I hate baseball. But Jesus never, never does. Jesus, I can't use you. Sorry. He doesn't do that. I can't wait for you to be on my team. It's amazing. He chooses those things that are weak and what the world looks at as pathetic and the do-nothings and the know-nothings and the not-so-smart people. That's perfect. You go, oh, that's us. (laughs) But anyway, but he uses those people. You know, uh, so the people, that's us. We're the chosen people of God through Jesus. The promises. All throughout the Old Testament, there are promises that God will carve out a remnant of people, again, us, that will embrace the principles of the cross, and it will be a people of all nations, will overcome any prejudice or, or disliking of one another or looking down on one another or self-righteousness because that's what Jesus did at the cross. He died for everybody, which proves that everybody is just as valuable as anybody else. It doesn't matter how big your bank account is or how, what color your skin is. And that's, you know what Jesus' greatest desire is? All you have to do is go back to John 17 and you can see what is God's greatest desire is that he would have one people of all nations worshiping God together in love. And that is what the book of Romans is all about. So this book, this study will be a blessing. Again, if I can let you know the little challenge I have today is if we get on the edge of our seats, if we, if we do our part of the homework, if we come ready to discuss these things, because usually things get embedded in my heart, in my soul, after I discuss them several times, just between God and I, between my brothers and sisters, and we talk about it, and then you have an insight for me, and I have an insight for you, and then the book of Romans, the message of the gospel, becomes rich and changes our lives. Let's pray for communion.